Suzanne LeBrand, and this is Disobedient Femmes. Today, my guest is art historian and author Susie Hodge. Ms. Hodge has published more than 100 books about art history and artistic techniques, including Why Your Five-Year-Old Could Not Have Done That, The Short Story of Women Artists, and most recently, Artquake, The Most Disruptive Works in Modern Art. Welcome. Thank you very much. I'm wondering if you could talk about how you got started writing books about art history that really do a lot to explain key movements, breakthroughs, themes that would be the kind of thing that somebody might take with them into a museum to help them understand what they're looking at. Is that a fair assessment of... That's a very good assessment. Yes, yeah. No, that's how I I love to do that. Um, I've always, always loved art. And I remember at school doing art history A-level and thinking, this is so fascinating. It's a bit like Shakespeare. You know, the more you look, the more you see and the more you study. I love those artists who you look in deeper and deeper and you always find something more. I love to educate I did teach for a while but the big thing with me with one book I wrote in particular um how to survive modern art that they did for uh, the Tate Gallery in London was um it's because I went to Tate Modern when it first opened and it was fascinating to go around look at the artworks but more than that hear what people were saying they were some people were laughing some people were sniggering some people were getting cross and being quite shocked by it other people were studying it and discussing it in great eloquent phrases it was just fascinating the way everyone responded to it so ever since then I've just loved to be able to explain because I know a lot of people especially modern art a lot of people get quite frustrated and they think that they're having a laugh at our expense these artists are are not really artists it's emperor's new clothes well maybe some of it is but I think a lot of it really isn't it's all it all comes from a good place I I always have um, a person in mind when I'm writing a book who's the the typical reader. And I think I'm I'm walking with them next to them in this gallery or wherever the work of art is. And I'm speaking to them. So it's quite polite. (laughs) I wouldn't be rude. And I'm certainly not talking down to anyone because I don't know a lot of things in the world. And just because I know a bit about art doesn't make me any cleverer than anyone else. Um, So it's really just having a chat with a a person I'm with it could be a friend it could be someone I've never met before but I usually have that person in mind even if I'm writing for children I actually if I'm writing for children it's usually a group of them they're all asking me questions I'm thinking how will I answer that because you have to be as honest as you can and as and as unpompous as possible (laughs) you are also an artist yourself and it's interesting that in addition to books about art history you also published books about artistic techniques and uh, three books about how to draw. Is that right? Over, over the pandemic, over last year, yeah. What do you think, having knowledge about the process of making art, adds to our understanding about the nature of art itself? I, it strikes me that a lot of histories are told from the point of view of critics, not the point of view of makers. I agree. I I do agree. And I really think it's, I find it particularly fascinating. I'm not sure that other people do, (laughs) to look at the technique and to see how it was done. For example, we're going right back to, say, Van Eyck. 
okay, he didn't invent oil painting, it was already invented, but what he did do was to develop a technique of using thin layers. If you think of, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Ghent altarpiece or um, the um, Arnolfini portrait, they're, they're perfect little jewel bright painting, well the Ghent altarpiece is quite big, but jewel bright paintings and incredibly detailed, especially in comparison to art that was being produced in Italy at the time, for example, that was tempera, which was a completely different technique because it was pigment mixed with egg, whereas oil paint is powdered pigment mixed with oil. So I'm just fascinated. I am always fascinated by technique and I love to really go up close in galleries or as close as you're allowed to go galleries and museums to see how the paint's been put on has it been used with their fingers for example not necessarily just paint I like paint because I, I paint but I love to see all of it um even all the installations using new technologies I love all that as well I think how was that done there's a wonderful artist who um um I went to see um I'm trying to think of her name because that's gone now but she produced uh, a wonderful work of art I saw it in Spain and it was of um, flowers that decayed and her name will come to me after we've had this chat but it, it was wonderful to see how she put it together and thought about it and just any any materials I'm fascinated by matter and the world I suppose. Does that give you um, more fuel as an artist as well as an art historian to know how things are are made? Well I hope so yes I, I hope they are I I hope the fact that, for example, when I was still a student and, and I went to the Musée d'Orsay in Paris and saw how Monet painted snow and all the colours he put in snow and there was no black in this particular painting, the magpie. And I went back and, and always used that, never used black, for example. That was a phase. Um, and I went to an exhibition of Pizarro's as well when I was a teenager and watched the way he used brushwork. It was sort of... Um, angled in fact I think the the curators had described it as um three-dimensional brushwork it wasn't quite off the off the canvas but yes yeah, so and, and then I went and practiced that so yes I do think it helps I think it's it's really a good if you're interested in art I'm sure you'd have to be interested in the way things are made I suppose what makes an art work disruptive in your opinion well I think in the moment, a lot of artworks are disruptive. I think that's part of um, an artist's aim. Most artists' aim is to be original, to break the mould, to do something that gets them noticed. It's not that they're just attracting attention for no reason. Most artists are looking at the world, their particular world, that current time, and doing something that's slightly provocative, it might be more than slightly provocative. It might not seem provocative at the time. It might not seem provocative to them at all. I mean, Manet, for example, in 1863, painted um, Olympia and he, he based it on a painting by Titian. So he really thought and felt that he was heading for the, the great salon of, of Paris. And he couldn't really, although he knew he was being more contemporary, he couldn't really see why people didn't see what he was doing and it's really that mindset I think that makes an artist they think in a different way to most of us they think in a, a more unique way they think round a problem I know we've got all these silly phrases like blue sky thinking and thinking out of the box but really that's what they do that's their job is to 
think of something and turn it on their heads. So at the time, we might look back at, for example, that Manet painting and think, well, what was all the fuss about? And then we'll see something today and be quite shocked by it. So it's very often provocative in its era rather than later on. There's plenty of art produced by amazing artists that is very gentle on the eye. And I know a lot of us, and most of us love to see beautiful things. We don't always want to be roused and riled and made to feel uncomfortable. But there's nothing to say that art had to be beautiful. I know the Greeks thought that, but art is anything. Any, Andy Warhol said that art is any art is anything the artist wants it to be. So yes, there is art that soothes, but similarly. It's not, it doesn't grab the headlines. It's the same as bad news. Bad news sells better than good news. What would you say today pushes the envelope in the art world? I think it's always um, women are often coming back. Now we've got a lot more women in the art world than we had before. And a lot of women aren't afraid. They, they look at the past and they see how many men painted naked women. It was all a bit voluptuous and it was all a bit salacious and they're now saying well look at us so for example they might paint blood or or not just paint blood they might produce some blood and and smear it on the walls or something they might um, show their bodies in a way that is not provocative purposefully trying to shock on purpose they are deliberately trying to shock to make people look at this and think well this is the beauty of art this is art that makes us think I'm thinking of Jenny Savile with her beautiful painterly big fat ladies that she paints but she often scrawls some rather discomforting words on them or or she'll make the the actual figure look uncomfortable. And we're going back to the way the female is portrayed. She's using all these wonderful ideas that artists use for centuries, beautiful application of paint, wonderful colours, but it's still a little bit uncomfortable. So really, art is so many different things. Tracy Emin produced Everyone I've Ever Slept With. And that was quite shocking at the time because we read it, the, the general public read it differently. Think, what do you mean that that tent is full of all these names? But of course, it was her mother. It was her little cousin. It was her friends. It wasn't as shocking as it seemed. So very often these things when you dig under the surface, they're not quite as shocking as at first they might seem. Is there a difference between art that we would see in galleries and commercial art or popular art? Does that distinction still hold in this day, would you say? I think it does. I think Andy Warhol did a lot, and singularly, I know there were other artists, but Andy Warhol's the main one who changed that. I worked in in the advertising industry, so I know about how um, commercial art is made and it's really um, sweated over to make every single line look exactly precise and, and capture the eye within a few seconds, whereas fine art is less about that it's more about pondering um it's about looking at it walking around it coming up close stepping back walking away and thinking about it over a day or so I'm wondering how you find new information about art and artists and where that information comes from that's a wonderful question because history changes um for example I was only writing a book 
today, but it wasn't today I discovered, it was earlier in the week. I, I picked an artist in particular, a painting, very well-known artist. I can't say anything yet because the book's not quite finished. Um, and from the time I'd chosen to use his work in the book too, which was about three or four months ago to the time I started to write about it, I checked with the gallery where the, the painting is held and they've done some research on it and discovered that they don't think it was by him anyway. And that can happen all the time. So a lot of it comes from the galleries. It's mainly the galleries because they have the scientific, the technical expertise to look into these things. And um, there are people all over the world who are experts on certain artists. So they're called in and they'll look closer at something or somebody might say, well, I, you know, a private individual might say, I've got a, a Rembrandt on my wall. The experts come in, they do lots of tests and, and they discover whether it is or it isn't. But things do change. You're right. And um I just have to keep up with it in lots of different ways. I always say for every one fact I write in a book, and I, I know this sounds far-fetched, a lot of people stare at me, gawp at me, think, are you sure? Um, I check every fact at least four times in different different resources because you just, especially writing books, you cannot afford to make mistakes. I mean, I'm sure I must do, um, but hopefully I keep up to the up to date as at the time of writing so I'll check the internet but certainly not relying on that I will check with galleries and museums and experts and hopefully get my facts in that way um, I mean even even the Mona Lisa there's there's new things coming out all the time about her I mean they, they still question why she has no eyebrows <laughs> was it because she was over cleaned once or was it how she was orig originally painted and that sort of thing <laughs> Why did Leonardo paint the background, you know, one side's lower than the other? All those things. One thing I really appreciate about your books, looking right now at the short story of women artists, is that you do a really great job of giving the context and oh, a little bit you. about the story of the artist or the time that it that it happened. And a lot of that was not part of the initial documentation. And, you know, and of course, I think of somebody like Hilma of Clint, who, you know, whose work was not generally known in the art world during her lifetime. Yeah. How is it that you go and find this information that may not be in any art history book? Um, I don't, yes, I don't just use books. I suppose I'm like a dog with a bone. When I get interested, you know what it's like. And she is fascinating, um, absolutely fascinating, how she said that her work wouldn't, couldn't be published. Um, she must have been quite a secretive sort of person, a bit Jane Austen-ish, really, even though she was later, much later. Um, she knew she was on to something, but not for the bigger world. It wasn't intended for the wider world. So I, I suppose... I, I go to as many exhibitions as possible because you know that curators will always um, go the, the extra mile to find out information about these people. I get to exhibitions, I go into archives wherever I can um, and I, I email a lot of, well, it's been during the pandemic, I email. Before the pandemic, sometimes I travel and go to these actual places to speak face to face with people and, and just generally find out connections and links and as much as I can. Um, I just think I want to know, so I'm sure other people do. How has art functioned in this time period, in your opinion? 
Um, I suppose it's the same as all of us. What would we have done without the internet? I mean, I think in many ways, a lot of art has had a wonderful um, reception because it's been so global. And I think because galleries have been closed, galleries have thought of new ways of producing art and, and getting the public to see it. A bit like not just art, for example, the um, opera houses and they've, they've screened things. And I think it's been really quite wonderful for us because I can't imagine how we'd have coped if we didn't have it. But um, it will be interesting to see how it changes from now on because, yes, there's some art out there now that's become really well known and sold for a lot of money that perhaps wouldn't have done if the galleries had been opened and social media wasn't around. So it is quite interesting. I suppose it's the same as offices. Will offices come back? I'm not sure about... Um, the whole world but a lot of offices won't open again will they now people are working more from home and discovered it's quite cost effective I wonder if it will be the same with art there'll be more online and not so much just in galleries just in your experience in the last year what were some of the ways in which art entered life in a new way that that it might not have have been able to that people might not have been able to see it prior to the pandemic well there's social media I mean for example Instagram Instagram is just huge and you think of that I really still don't know quite how people become what they call influencers but it's word of mouth people say look at this and it's it's become quite incredible I mean I love to go on and somebody might follow me or I might get a recommendation I'm, I'm useless on social media by the way I am on it and I, I love to see people and meet new people on there but I'm not the best at promoting myself um but it's so lovely to see and you look at something and well, that's interesting I've not seen that before and then you go deeper or there might be a link to something else and it's really opened up as far as other things that shops are closing all over the place stores are, are disappearing but in in a lot of ways it's made it so much more accessible and I think it will change it maybe the people will have more of a say rather than the galleries I mean that's this is what sometimes happens in fashion doesn't it? you have the trickle up or the trickle down fashion either comes used to always come from the couturiers and then it would be copied for people on the streets and then it changed in the 60s whereas all the kids or the cool kids were walking around with the fashion and the couturiers picked up with what they were doing so I think art is changing like that now things always change in a big way but war pandemic I think it it has the effect that changes everything but we adapt the human human race is amazing we've adapted so far we will carry on why is it important for people to know more about art and art history, even if they are not themselves artists? Oh, I think it's really important. Well, I would think that, wouldn't I? But I really do believe that art is so important in the world. And I can't bear it when education is cut because they always seem to cut the arts. There are so many reasons. I'll just give you a few because I'll probably forget some. I would say that... Um, it teaches about history. It teaches us about moments in time because art is of that particular moment. It's kind of a mirror of its society. Um, it, they've proved that it's brilliant for children because children can either voice problems or thoughts that they might have when looking at a work of art or producing art. It's both, it's been proved that it's great in the workplace because they've they've done experiments. I say they, all these specialists and scientists and doctors. I've produced office, I've had offices with no 
works of art on the walls and some with and they've actually checked and they've been more people have been more productive in office spaces with works of art around them and I should know that because my first job was at Saatchi's Saatchi and Saatchi advertising agency and and in those days Charles Saatchi used to put his collection on the walls of the art gallery and I think we were all very creative in those days <laughs> but um what else it, they, they've proved that art can raise our endorphins you know our happy um hormones and cortisol and dopamine which is all about calming stress Actually, I'm, I'm writing a book at the moment about things like this. Um, it's good for our brains. It's good for our mental health. I mean, I could go on all day. I really, I really feel that art, even if you might think I don't like art, I'm not interested in art, give it a go. Because I think most people, that everyone can see something in their works, in, in a work of art. And as, as I always say, so the artist has come from their point of view. We come from our point of view. So the artist has brought all their experiences and knowledge and we bring out. So we're always going to interpret things slightly differently. It's the same as a viewpoint. Even if you and I were standing next to each other, looking at a beautiful field or a garden, you would see it from a slightly different angle to me. And, that, and that's the beauty of art. So you can discuss it so it can open up conversation. I could go on, as I say. <laughs> Today on Disobedient Femmes, I have been speaking with art historian, artist, and prolific author Susie Hodge, who has just published Artquake, the most disruptive works in modern art. For listeners who are interested in learning more about your work and getting a hold of Artquake and many of the other wonderful books you've written, where can they go? Uh, we can go online, obviously. Um any good bookstore they should have them in that museum galleries all those shops they should be everywhere if not ask at the shops please I want them in the shops I want people to read them and see how lovely art is how wonderful it is and uplifting it can be well thank you so much for being on disobedient fans thank you for inviting me it's lovely to chat I am Suzanne Legrand Each week on Disobedient Femmes, I bring you interviews with amazing women writers, artists, and activists who are reimagining the world. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and let us know what you think by leaving a comment. Thanks. Your latest book, Artquake, is all about disruptive art. What is it that makes an artwork disruptive, in your opinion?
important for people to know more about art history.